This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Good morning. It is your weekly addiction. It is the rundown. The Fab Four are assembled. And the first thing we always do, we give you a little intro about what we're going to be talking about today. The Catholic Disinfo Hour, celebrating its second year of weekly production. The Rundown is a collaborative Catholic news and opinion show endeavoring to expose and mock the Build Back Better New World Order in both civil society and the church. We've correctly predicted lockdowns, mandates, elections, and public frauds of all manner. Covidians hate us, normies try to ignore us, and fake news organizations wish they could be us. This is The Rundown. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com of uh, that will enhance our underlying effort to accommodate the Russian oligarchs uh, and make sure we take their take their their ill-begotten gains. <laughs> We're going to accommodate them. We're going to seize their yachts, their luxury homes, and other ill-begotten gains of Putin's kleptocracy. Uh, yeah, kleptocracy and klep- the guys who are the kleptocracies. <laughs> But these are bad guys. Hey, I'll be right out. Meet Teddy, a 32-year-old public school teacher who says they like to help children explore their sexual identity. Tonight, all Teddy's going to be exploring is the back of a police car. Can I get a hug? Just a second. I'm going to grab some soda. Why don't you take a seat over there? Uh, Hello. What brings you out here tonight? Um, I'm tutoring. Tutoring? Is that why you sent a curriculum to this 12-year-old girl and told her not to show her parents? Uh, yeah, I'm teaching her about sexuality. 
A lesson about sex she can't share with her parents. I mean, you understand how this sounds, right? They would try to censor it. So I suppose you wouldn't mind if we educated ourselves with it now. Now, before I read this, is there anything you'd like to say for yourself? Anything at all? It's academic freedom. It's normal for to blankety blank blank a blanking blank with your blanking blank. Now, why would you teach that to a kid? Does that sound educational to you? Are you her dad or something? We'll get to that in a minute. Does this sound like something you should be saying to a 12-year-old girl? It's just sex ed. Come on, Ted. Why did you want to show our parents? <laughs> now, why does this curriculum you sent include illustrations of minors engaged in lewd acts? I mean, come on, Ted. Am I going to jail? That's not up to me. But yes. And if it was up to me, you'd still be going. FBI. Ah! No! About time we got no. to you. You've been on our watch list for a no. while, bud. What? Uh, are you serious? This is... W wait just a minute. Intimidating educators like that for shame. number two. After I fired pediatrician number one, I asked another mom of a trans kid who lives locally for a pediatrician recommendation and she gave me one. Aside from incessant misgendering from her whole staff, she also said in front of my child that I needed to mourn the loss of my daughter in front of my nine-year-old transgender child. That's something you never say, by the way. In addition, she then refused to write a letter for his name change, um, stating the fact that he is too young to know himself and refused to connect with his therapist and his endocrinologist. She was the chief of staff at our local hospital. Not only was she disrespecting my son's knowledge of his own self, but she's also disrespecting me. Oh, Putin's kleptocracy. Yeah. Kleptocracy, the, klep the guys who are the kleptocracies. <laughs> but these are bad guys. Well, it looks like Twitter's gone. They accepted the money, and Elon Stalin is taking over. So, thank you, Twitter, and goodbye forever, you insane Q like forum. Or soon to be insane like Q like forum. Peace out. Bye. Elon Musk. This is directly to you. Enjoy Twitter. I just deactivated mine. I will not be reactivating it. Enjoy. I deactivated my account and deleted the app. That's what I think of it. Elon Musk. Today, Twitter has announced that they've been bought by Elon Musk, or however you say his name. Um, I'm not interested in staying on Twitter anymore because of this. And I think there's a lot of people that are about to leave. So I just wanted to let everyone know that you can find me here. I'm gonna also share this on Twitter before I deactivate my account so that anyone who wants to follow me can find me here as well.
hey, I did a thing today. I deactivated my Twitter account. You can too. I think we need to change the intro up a little bit guys because we're not we're 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 going to be the most watched least trusted misinformation news source uh, uh in the catholic sphere we're going to be hated by the ministry of truth the new ministry of truth is uh going to come after us i think that's our top story today but we have to get there via talking about elon musk first you own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you, you don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Elon Musk says this is all to help people because he is just a free speech philosophically clear, open-minded helper. Okay. So Elon Musk has made a 45 or $46 billion offer to buy Twitter. The offer is two thirds, his own money or his own assets and one third debt from various institutions, the top lenders, of course, uh, all the banksters are lining up for this deal. The deal is expected to close sometime in October. The deal is contingent upon his net worth still remaining what it is, including him being able to create liquidity from his Tesla shares immediately upon him selling, dumping shares to create liquidity so that he can pay for the deal. uh, The market took a tank. The NASDAQ took a tank. Tesla took a tank. So it's not even clear if he's going to successfully be able to buy Twitter, Ryan, but People are flipping out about it. And what I want to do is frame this discussion as action, reaction. The action is Elon is buying Twitter. We'll talk about the reaction after that in terms of what the government is going to do and whether or not this was all staged. But what are your thoughts on Musk buying Twitter? Mm-hmm. Um, just judging ob- uh, like objectively what we're seeing, uh, the left is completely melting down. All the blue check marks, all the uh, that is all the lefty blue check marks, and all the uh, the wacky, crazy groups that you always see that that run the Twitter mobs that are always pushing all the woke stuff. That everyone who runs accounts with lots of bots going after people, they're all freaking out about this. So that's one thing that at least I can enjoy in the whole mist or in the side. But I think I put the tweet out when, when this all happened, all hail your brain chip monkey overlords, right? Because, you know, people, Elon, at least the way he presents himself publicly is more like in the center, crazy, brilliant, nutty, um, eccentric type of character, but he's not, he's not a guy that we should be celebrating. Uh, really. He is a world economic forum partner. 
He is, you know, deep in all the stuff that's being planned and, and organized right now behind the scenes or through the G8, through the, again, the WEF, through all these other groups, which are really just fronts for what all the, the bankers and the businessmen and the non-government organizations and various government officials have all decided to do behind the scenes. So he's not changing any of that. He's not going to make Twitter some, you know, some place where you truly have and any any sense of free speech and in as catholics we sh- uh, you pointed this out earlier to me, so i want to give you the credit for doing that i was just content to laugh at that uh elon musk making fun of bill gates but uh, but i think you might correctly point it out do we as traditional catholics want free speech as such uh that, which means that really if we if we take free speech at its word then Oh, every, you know, this, the videos we play here of all the groomers and stuff like that. Yeah, well, that's perfectly allowed. Um, and people advocating mm-hmm. for that per, should be perfectly allowed if you believe in absolute free speech. So I, I don't think any traditional Catholic really wants that to come about. I think that the main import is um, this is, again, more of, you know, look what I'm doing here. So you don't mm-hmm. see what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. And, with, you know, with, whether Elon even is able to take it over or not. It is fun to watch the let the left that that's not in the know that's not directly coordinated by all this just kind of melt down. But at the same time, nothing fundamentally is going to change about how how Twitter even works, except we'll get to be able to say a whole bunch of nonsense, which later will put us in the gulag. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, I'm trying to share my screen here to, to uh, share the article, but I don't have the ability to do that right now. James, I'm not even so sure setting aside the principle that error has no rights or that you know that catholics should should not in principle support free speech because it's been condemned by the church for hundreds of years since the french revolution setting that aside let's just assume that free speech is is a temporary good as an intermediary step between the tyranny that we're living in now and you know potentially getting back to a catholic society is there any evidence to suggest that elon musk is actually a free speech guy Hmm. Well, I mean, that's a very good question. Um, at least in the last week, you know, people are suggesting that 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 that's been the case. Um, I, I'm with uh, Ryan. I mean, earlier on, you know, uh, well, I guess actually in the last couple of years, he he said some things on Twitter uh, that people get excited about. He's thrown red meat to people uh, who were disgruntled with the way uh, Jack was handling things and whatever censorship uh was in place by then uh people were already starting to see uh that it was not a place that was welcoming to them who wanted to have that free quote-unquote exercise of speech now in the in the opening you played a, a video that could very well have been uh maybe uh i guess made two years ago when uh, the former president got banned from the platform uh, so this this uh, news person is is talking about free speech and how it can be used to silence the opposition, the uh, leader of a uh, opposition political party, blah blah blah. We've already seen that happen. We've seen that happen many times, and uh, that's one of the frustrations that uh, Elon several years ago was uh, tweeting about and uh, asking very openly. You know, is this the kind of platform we want to support? A uh, mm-hmm. platform that uh, basically pushes people off whose ideas we don't. Uh, we don't like. So, I mean, putting all that aside, uh, you know, the church's understanding of what free speech actually is, 
and what what it what it shouldn't be. You know, it, I mean, the evidence uh, that we've seen uh, basically makes out Elon Musk to be someone who appreciates, uh, you know, that sort of uh, uh, equal uh, rights for people on the platform to post whatever it is they they they, they choose to post uh, on their opinions of whatever subject matter uh, they're uh, writing about. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't seem to be. Um, sort of in that woke mentality that uh, uh, sort of, and that's, I guess, primarily what he has been frustrated about is that woke mentality. And he's used that word himself. So he doesn't seem to be um, you know, interested in uh, pushing people out, at least, at least now for him. I, yeah. I think this is a platform to get uh, to, to rail. I mean, we can talk about this, at some other point in the show, but this for him would be a good deal. Imagine being the uh, billionaire owner of a platform uh, where you can sort of uh, make uh, sort of social credit scoring, you know, uh, something that people want because you're the person running it and they quote unquote trust you. And so this becomes for him a platform where he can use to control uh, more people. You get rid of bots. Yeah, sure. Get rid of bots. But then now, you have your own bots who are actually human beings. That's that's great. Now, uh, this sort of leads to something that you're you've you've said before, Brother Martin, in terms of your know, thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. And I think we're witnessing that play out in the in real time, and very few people seem to be aware of it. Most of like kind of the normie Catholic GOP boomer crowd, you know, the people that watch church militant, they think this is great. They all they can see are the happy joy of liberal tears. They think suddenly that Elon Musk, who is a Satanist, uh, is their best friend, their savior. I think one person tweeted from that organization that th- that World War III is Musk versus Twitter. So they, they've, in, in some parts of the Catholic sphere, Elon Musk, I'm getting like Antichrist vibes from this guy. I know he's not one, but he may be a type of one. But thesis, antithesis, antithesis, and synthesis is what we're witnessing. So you you have Elon Musk show up, make an offer to buy Twitter. Now his offer was accepted, but he doesn't own the pro- the platform yet. Think about this: Elon Musk will not take possession of the keys to Twitter until October. He's not a board member; he's a shareholder. He owns nine percent of the company. He exercises no day-to-day control over the platform. And yet we have seen the platform change in real time. We have seen that some of the shadow banning has come to an end. Now, his deal may fall through. If Tesla stock drops and he can't afford the deal anymore, if he doesn't raise the cash, if the debtors fall out, if he goes through the M&A process and starts doing his diligence and he starts to find that there's fraud in, in Twitter or, or there's some other thing that he doesn't want to deal with. He could walk from the deal. There's nothing compelling him to close the deal. There's nothing. There's not, There's no guarantee that this transaction will indeed close. That's how M&A works. Deals bust up all the time. And yet we're witnessing that a man who is exercising no day-to-day control has no ability to influence what is happening at Twitter. Suddenly he's getting credited with opening the platform up. Ending the shadow banning, seemingly. And as a response to that, as the antithesis to that, 
government is stepping in. Am I, is, is, is this, is this, is this the tea leaves that, that everyone else here is reading brother? No, you're, you're definitely onto something in the, in the fact that there's so much time between now and him actually taking the, taking the keys of the place and the government probably even using this as an excuse to step in. I can imagine a phone call coming from the white house. Hey, Elon, uh, you would cause a crisis for, for the, for our, for our side or whatever. We, we needed an excuse uh, to be able to take things over to, to create this ministry of truth. Um, what do you think about you know, causing this crisis and, and purchasing Twitter so that we then have a reason um, that a lot of our people, a lot of the progressives will willingly accept the ministry of truth and we can you know, establish one and there you go. So that is definitely one, one really good theory. I think a lot of the, the normies um, see Elon Musk to be somewhat of a, tr- a, a Trump-like figure, um, mm-hmm. mostly because of two things. One, um, he's obviously a very successful businessman, so he knows how to make good decisions um, in regarding finances and stuff. Two, uh, he's a troll. You know, online, he's he's constantly in, in comment boxes. I think he trolled AOC the other day. You know, AOC was like, oh, I'm freaking out. I hate freaking out when a billionaire oligarch takes over things and I have to worry about hate speech now. And he's just like, yeah, stop hitting on me. I'm shy or something like that. Uh, so he's a troll. He, um, much like Donald Trump, and he, he's very successful in the in, in business. Um. I think one of the things he's, he's really pushing and selling is, is the fact that one of the things that they've censored, um, they being, I guess, uh, the communists in our country, is, is freedom of the press or being able to criticize the policies of your government, which is still under uh, the First, first Amendment. Um, I think that the big thing was when the New York Post uh, published an article on Hunter's laptop and Twitter, any, anybody who shared the link to that article, it, it, you were not allowed to post it. You were not allowed to share the information, you know, even, even that's in legitimate uh, press publication. Um, and so I think that's what helped him get a little bit of leverage with, with the normies and all that kind of stuff is they just want to be able to, to live freely uh, rather than virtuously. There's, there's that difference, I guess, between freedom and virtue. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I mean, you, I guess you, you call them an antichrist. I mean, obviously an antichrist would, would seemingly bring peace, a political peace uh, to, to the nation's. Um, but Elon Musk in, part, in particular, much like Donald Trump, it's cap- capitalism, profit over people. Um, we think that profit is the, is in the best interest of everybody, um, as opposed to helping everybody flourish and live virtuously, which which is not the case. Um, and so, while it, it might seem like a like like a like a, a better situation than what we have now, um, it's it's still not something to be overly cheerful about. Yeah. I want to go back to Ryan on this point, on this point, uh, as we move the ball forward and start talking about the ministry of truth. But before we get there, Ryan, I mean, just, just, to, just to hammer this point home, the algorithms, the coding, the man hours that would be needed to, quote unquote, open back up Twitter, to unlock it, to bring back banned accounts, to, you know, to, to already have a list of people that you're going to reinstate. Okay, this is all upon announcement of a deal. And it was all pre-planned, pre-coordinated, pre-scripted. There's no way that this hasn't been in the works for a very long time. We're talking about major man hours, Ryan, just to implement the changes to Twitter that everyone is, is feeling. And yet, contrast that against the notion that Elon Musk does not own Twitter. And he will not own Twitter until October at the earliest if his deal goes through, which I don't know that it will. Right. I think the the biggest import here, you know, the, I think you've hit it 
exactly in terms of how does this thing work? I mean, the, the algorithms are far too complicated for one guy to just walk in and, and type, you know, X equals semicolon, whatever. And then all of a sudden, everything's going to undo it. Uh, that that doesn't happen that way. And that there was another story that, oh, well, since Elon's taken over, they've locked out all the engineers away from the uh, the controls so they can't be influencing it. That's not true either. This, to me, has all the appearances of a very managed bit of show, uh, show business. And, you know, everyone's seen a bump in followers to some extent or another. I've seen uh, larger accounts that have been shadow banned for a while, people that I know and follow, all of a sudden they were getting bumps of like 10,000 follows back on, Um, you know, whereas they didn't have, uh, you know, they're missing that, you know, there's so many different ways you can create those kind of effects. And I mean, in that, you know, but you would have to plan that ahead of time. It's not going to happen just in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. There's no easy, there's no easy button to, to, to implementing that. And, and the, the reaction from government, uh, James is predictable. They've, they're now saying that, you know, we're going to create this ministry of truth. Um, you know, they're going to combat disinformation. And they're putting this woman in charge of the ministry of truth. This is the woman who's going to be deciding what is true information and what's disinformation. Information laundering is really quite ferocious. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious by saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet. So disinformation's origins are slightly less atrocious. It's how you hide a little hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little hide a little lie when Rudy Giuliani shared bad intel from Ukraine. Or when TikTok influencers say COVID can cause pain. They're laundering disinfo when we really should take note and not support their lies with our wallet voice or vote. Oh! This is the point of the show we're going to say we're kidding, we're making all of this up. It's not really happening in the country you were born in, but it is happening. That's now a law enforcement official. It's also the person you just saw, an individual who brags about getting a master's degree from Georgetown University. In case you were wondering if the entire academic credentialing machine that sustains America's ruling class is in fact a joke. Spoiler alert, yes, it is a joke. James, uh, she's now with Homeland Security. Homeland Security is going to be deciding what's true and false. The Department of Homeland Security, the, the, the institution created by baby Bush as a, as a reaction to 9-11, which never existed before, Homeland Security, brand new uh, apparatus, security apparatus in the government, is now in charge of what is true and what is false. Are we living in 1984? Well, this is just playing out spectacularly. I mean, people are not able to correlate these things. You know, we if you're asking yourself today, you know, well, this is not, maybe it's, it might be a good thing, or you know what, this is a shocking thing. Go back to 2000, and was it 2003 or 2002? I don't remember when, when the Department of Homeland Security was created, when a few people, minority voices, by the way, not not a whole lot of people were, uh, were uh, against this. People were shouting down as much as they could before they were silenced, silenced as being part of the enemy, you know? People were shouting down uh, the creation, uh, namely Ron Paul, from what I can remember, the creation of Homeland Security, you know, and the disaster that could come from it in the future. And we, we've experienced some of this already through uh, the subsequent, uh, you know, uh, mislabeling of traditionalists, you know, uh, other Christian sects as being as being domestic terrorists, right? So now we're moved even one more step further in. And now we're, we're going to be in a position, you know, through this new uh, uh, department, 
to basically censor, basically being censored, actively being censored on a day. This is like a, mi a ministry of truth, which uh, basically changes, uh, you know, it's control of the news, media, fine arts, educational books, and all sorts of things. And basically the purpose is to rewrite history. So we were basically seeing this thing play out in reality, not just rewriting history, but re you know, rewriting current events, daily happenings. You know, oh, this didn't happen. You know, well, how do you know? Well, I'm from the uh, Department of Truth, and here's my badge. Everyone here is fired. Go home, pack up your things. You're done. You know, we've warned you several times, and now uh, we, we've had it with you guys. You're out of here. Or you know what? Uh, we're just showing up at your bank. You know what? You're closing this guy's account. We've given him several warnings. Uh, he's still posting anti-truth, whatever, whatever you want to call it. You know, same thing. You go to your place of work. You know, uh, you go to the gas station, try to buy some gas. I'm sorry, you need to delete three or four posts that have yeah. negative, right. you know. Yeah, that's And if anybody doubts that's where we're going, Brother Martin, I mean, they're already implementing a digital ID in parts of Europe. France is leading the charge. The digital ID, the, 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 the notion that you would have to have credentials, credentials in order to access information, access the Internet, credentials in order to transact and those credentials can be revoked by that woman who's sitting at department of homeland security she's a cop now she's a law enforcement officer and she she gets to decide if you can participate in society or not yeah it's absolutely nuts but to be honest we've 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 already had a ministry of truth um i think it's called big science in the sense that there's big government we know what big government is we know what big business is but science has, has been able to manipulate people's minds for, for decades now. And we saw over this pandemic that just because science does so, everybody has to believe it. Um, and I think the law enforcement will, will be very easy in the same that we saw the, the law enforcement play out in our grocery stores um, during, during this pandemic, during the lockdowns, um, that people will rat out other people. People will take videos of people. People will report um, those to the Ministry of Truth. Um, so this is... This isn't something that's like, oh, you know, if, if only, only the big blue check marks are going to get censored, only, only the blue check marks are, are going to get shadow banned. Um, I think it's, it's going to be, there's going to be, what do you, what do you call it, a, a ground movement um, that, that will, it's very much KGB. I mean, you have people hit, hidden all over society, all throughout society, specifically there to watch and to report. Um, yeah. I, think, I think that really, that's, that's where we're headed. Now, Ryan, the rundown was correct. Has been, we had pretty much have a sterling record. We were right on the fake lockdown. We were right on the fake virus. We were right on the fake implementation of uh, reactions to the virus, both physical and medicinal. We were right on the fake election. We were right on the fake. Uh, well, we were wrong about Trump getting reelected, though. We were well. We were right. Well, we were right about it being uh, shenaniganed and and being right. absolutely fake. Votes not precisely. Uh, being tabulated in some cases correctly i think i just got us banned uh but and, and then and then subsequent to that we were right about the fake january 6 hoax the, the the false flag we were right about the the counter reaction to that i think we're onto something here i think we're the only ones who are now saying exactly what it what we're what everyone ought to be seeing for themselves with their own eyes and ears that elon musk is no friend to conservatives he's no friend to catholics He's he's not our he's an he's not our ally in any sense of the word. 
and that this whole charade is merely just being scripted and acted out so that the Department of Homeland Security can take over what is true and false in this country. It's, it's, it's an extension of the communist revolution and the major traditional so-called, you know, Catholic outlets that are, that are like mainstream that have multi-million dollar studios. Mm -hmm. They are all in on this plan. They love the implementation of communism because they can't see past their stupid noses. Well, and they're, they're all clapping like seals for, for Elon. How, how great all this is just right on cue. Um, meanwhile, and, and uh, James touched on it and brother touched on it a minute ago. Uh, while everyone's, you know, all the Catholic media is, um, hold on a minute, uh, get this set up. So while everyone's, you know, doing this, there is, trying to get my thing to share correctly. Here we go. Is this coming through? Yeah. In Bologna, in Italy, uh, a digital social credit, basically. Uh, is being you know introduced by the city for your essential services, for your buses, for uh, all these sorts of things. And so you know I highlight a big section here. I'm not going to read it all, but the ultimately, so what they're they're getting into here is that they're they're coming out with this new social credit score. It's going to give you know virtuous citizens. It's going to give them <laughs> rewards for making use of these apps. And these uh, things. And so the, uh, yeah, here it is, Cittadini Virtuosi, virtuous citizens, when they make use of, of this app, right? And so, and then they're actually calling it a digital digital wallet, right? Mm -hmm. That they're, they're going to make use of. So that, and they're going to get rewards and they, you know, and they warn, yeah, it's, it's voluntary, of course. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, you don't have to. So this is coming out of the court. The vaccine was voluntary there. too. I mean, so yeah, it's voluntary. You don't have to, you know, make use of that. It's going to mm -hmm. be, you know, just come out and, uh, but we want, we don't want to leave anybody behind. So they always put that word out there. It, it's like that line in Princess Bride, you know, that word again. I don't think it means what you think it means. That's they right. say voluntary, but then they say, but we want to make sure nobody gets left behind. Yeah, there's and a fine line between Italy too. Canada, which we already knew, you know, there's no surprise there, but Canada is also rolling out its own uh, system. And so, sorry, I didn't have this queued up. Uh, there we go. It's it's like the uh, fine line between volunteered and voluntold. Right? Yeah, pretty much. Carrot Rewards app gets 1.5 million boost from Ontario government. Surprise. <laughs> A free app that's all, that's all carrot, no stick, not yet. It offers users loyalty points for completing quizzes and surveys about healthy living, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's uh, the Carrot Rewards app, which already has a quarter of a million Ontarians signed up, provides information and gives users a chance to earn points by answering short surveys and builds up user profiles. And the beauty about the app is once it knows you well, it can target you with much more specific information. No, to say it isn't so um etc <laughs> we could go imagine imagine volunteering your personal information to an app like that that's oh, that's backed by the government Not i mean it's, it's like it's kind of like saying imagine having a facebook account right right like just imagine doing that you're just volunteering now james i think you want to make a point um uh the, that you said in our private chat that i think is brilliant it's just like how when they loosen the chains 
on the lockdown when they're like, okay, the lockdown's over and everyone celebrates. Yay, the new normal. It's just like when the IRS gives you a fraction of your money back in your tax return. You're like, oh, yay, I love the IRS. Now, uh, Twitter's, Twitter's, oh, just a little bit more free. Right, you know, and it's this song and dance. We do this all the time for everything, right? But we we are so hooked on getting the slightest bit of good news to us that it seems not just like a not even a little win. It seems like an enormous win. So you know what's what happening right now is uh, apparently, ostensibly, you know the, the you know the vice grip on Twitter is being loosened, right? And Ryan was making a point earlier on, you know, tens of thousands of followers are now being you know, uh, sh- showing up at uh, people's, you know, following count, you know, and uh, what's happening you know, is this is, in my opinion, this is like a little bit of for people to sort of munch on and, you know, they're losing their focus on what's actually happening, right? So a lot of people, and Ryan also alluded to this too, a lot of people are not paying attention to this uh, new department. And if they are paying attention to it, they're thinking it's a, it's a good thing, right? And that's what we always heard from the progressive, Oh, it's a great thing we're going under lockdown. Oh, where's my mask? Don't come near me. If if you don't have a mask, don't come near me. You know, I want more masks. And even uh, uh, Jankowicz, you know, or uh, uh, Jankowicz, however you say her name, you know, she she has a video where she's saying, you know what, we need more, more lockdowns, more lockdowns. You know, so this is a big sleight of hand. You know, you give people a little bit of freedom here. And on the end, over here, they're, where they're not looking, because they're celebrating a little bit of freedom on, on one side. On the other side, there's a sleight of hand taking place, and nobody wants to pay attention to that. Uh, well, and, that's and not all about her, too. Vice grip. You're right, you're right. Yeah, and yeah there's big, more about her. But speaking of sleight of hand, yeah. speaking of sleight of hand, though, I mean, while, while everyone is obsessing over Elon Musk, and crediting him with opening up Twitter somehow as a private citizen that has no uh, ability to uh, influence Twitter at all. There's only one human being in the mainstream media who's reporting on probably the most important thing that's happening that no one else is talking about. What's going on here? Well, the story gets weirder. Food processing plants all over the country seem to be catching fire. A couple of days ago, a fire destroyed the headquarters of Azure Standard, one of the largest organic food distributors in the country. At the end of last month, a fire severely damaged a fresh onion packing facility in South Texas. In Oregon, a potato chip processing plant to support a boiler explosion that sent workers to the hospital. Here's a news report on that. Eastern Oregon, where crews are battling a major fire at a potato chip processing plant. Air 12 flew over the scene at Shearer's Foods on Highway 207 in Hermiston. We're told the fire was caused by an explosion of a portable boiler there. Two people were taken to the hospital. So industrial accidents happen, of course, but this is a lot of industrial accidents at food processing facilities at the same time the president's warning us about food shortages. They're getting hit by planes and catching fire. What is going on here exactly? Jason Rance hosts a radio show in Seattle and joins us to put it into perspective. So it's happening. Food shortages are coming. Uh, there are what? Uh, Ryan, like a dozen? A dozen or more food processing plants around the country. And by the way, almost all the packaged food that anyone buys anywhere in the world is owned by like six companies. Uh, so any packaged food, which is not even real food, is all manufactured by like six people. And the largest shareholders in all six of those companies are the same too. It's BlackRock and, and one other. Uh, I think in State Street 
uh, is like number three. So you have a very small number of investment professionals, so-called, who are managing people's pensions and people's retirements, who own the six largest, uh, the six only uh, major food conglomerates in the world. It doesn't take, Ryan, it doesn't take a lot of people to manufacture a food shortage. You're not talking about a conspiracy that needs to envelop thousands or tens of thousands of people mm -hmm. to comply. You're talking about six boards of directors that are controlled by three institutional shareholders, a small group of people. Mm -hmm. Well, it's an incredibly small group of people. And the ability to get in this department to flip a switch and say, okay, <clears throat> we're going to go in this direction, start shutting this down, get rid of this. And then you have, you know, where's mo most of this type of thing happening? It's happening in, I mean, granted, you got a bunch of it that's, you know, the big processed foods that uh, people who are awake to issues in food and nutrition and the failures of Western medicine and everything like that. We're all, you know, most of us aren't eating those kind of processed foods or very little of them. But, uh, but, but a lot of the independent things, like Azure Standard is a really big one. We get food from Azure Standard. A lot of people do around here. They're one of the biggest independent uh, you know, producers of food and grains, even animal feeds that are organic. Um, and when I say organic, I mean loosely, not so much in terms of a certified label, but in terms of the practices of its being raised. And of course, a lot of that organic grain comes from places that are now sanctioned or being attacked in war. So, uh, you know, invaded. So it's uh, so that all those supplies are, are shrinking. And, and now I think I pointed this out somewhere else or maybe last week, but if it was just this one place, even if it was just this one thing here, um, you know, or, you know, a couple of them in some off here, you know, well, yeah, whatever. It's just, just some accident accidents happen. But at the same time as last year, Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum is getting out, declaring that there's going to be food shortages. And, uh, you know, we must prepare for, you know, whatever the, these old Bond villain routines going on there. Um, and then you got Biden. Yeah, there's going to be food shortages, even as Biden does everything possible to make them worse. And that now you have all these plants blowing up, which is to reduce the availability of a food supply to anyone who doesn't already have certain things in place so and i i look at even the processed foods very closely because that's going to affect everything else and so i most of what i eat either i raise myself or actually my my wife and kids do most of that work while i'm typing but you know we raise it ourselves and and then eat it or grow it uh or someone else locally is raising it and we buy it from them or trade with them that's the most of what we get comes from there and then there's a handful of things that we get you know from the store so once you, uh, most people get 100% of what they get from the store. And that's the, the bigger issue, just like with soybeans. I mean, I avoid anything soy unless that soy has been fermented so because of all the um, phytoestrogens. But when the, when the, the soybeans started getting scarce, I was paying attention because that's going to affect all meat prices because it'll affect the commercial meat. Then that'll affect the meat that I buy, right? Just because of the prices going up. And you know, once you see the reckoning for the thing that what they've got is even more valuable because it's not filled up with soy. It's just just particularly grass fed or what have you. Right. So pasture raised, et cetera. So the same thing here, the processed foods, when those start going down, what uh, the food normies are eating, um, you know, that's going to drive up all the cost of food. So even if you're like, hey, I, I'm, I'm eating natural food, uh, I make sure the companies I get it. There's no or very minimal use of any kind of processing going on. We get our meat locally. We, you know, if you're the type of person doing that, one, 
uh, good on you, but also watch out because all the stuff that's hitting the food normies is also going to hit you. Yeah, I mean, and you have you have government officials now coming in and slaughtering people's private chickens, right? All, and actually, all, all ostensibly it, because of phony a, PCR uh, tests. So, if you remember during the scam, yeah. oh, I almost got his booted. If you remember <laughs> during the unspecified virus of unspecified origins, what was driving it was the case demic was these PCR tests that mm. the inventor of that test, Carrie Mullis, who of course died in a car accident very suspiciously in uh, right before this all broke out. Uh, you know, he went after Fauci and of course he's not, not alive anymore, but, um, he said that test is so accurate. It's too accurate. So unless it's used properly in the right conditions, you know, it's not, it's not good for determining if you have one very specific virus. It's good in a lab culture, giving you an idea of what's in that lab culture, but it's not good for identifying one specific thing. And he was always against PCR testing for, for viruses. And of course you're using it outside of a lab. Mm-hmm. Um, a sterilized lab environment, and now it's wildly off off the map. Well, that's what's being used to determine if all these birds have H5N1, which is this avian flu. And of course, now the news just popped up last week. I, I should have pulled it up so I could share it. In uh, Colorado, a man has been declared to have H5N1 avian flu from handling backyard poultry. Yeah, right. And that's the biggest line of BS I think that I've ever seen. It's like there's no evidence given to corroborate any of that. It's it's already been, you know, because that's going to start the next narrative, the next wave of a, uh, a new unspecified virus of unspecified origin. Where, and again, we're going to have, you know, have you seen what's happening in Shanghai? Well, everyone's worried about uh, clapping like seals for Elon. Get ready for like a Shanghai style lockdown in some cities, you know, in some places won't. We'll, so we'll see how many people are going to stand by their word. That, yeah, we're not doing that again because it's coming. I want to I want to ask Brother Martin about a principle here, Catholic principle. And it's about the notion of private property, which is enshrined in the Ten Commandments. If you shall not steal you. There's no such thing as stealing if nobody owns anything. So the, the, the notion of you'll own nothing and be happy is against the Ten Commandments. It's against divine law. I would contend that if a government official of any rank, of any caliber, of any municipality comes to my house and tries to kill my chickens, that that is, a, that is an act of violence which warrants a proportional act of violence. And that I will defend my chickens to the death and I will use deadly force to do it. And that's how we have to think about personal property. Is that extreme, Brother Martin? Well, first is your chickens, then it's your kids. Uh, the, f- the future of their civilization, because of course all these progressives, they don't reproduce. And so, as we've said before, <laughs> the groomers, they're coming for your kids. You know, they're, they're gonna take your kids. So first is your chickens, then it's your kids. Um, it'll it'll obviously make make that pro- process a little bit more rapid, quicker in the sense that you kill you kill their FBI agents or whatever, then they're gonna, they're gonna come after your house, and, you know, right quick. Um, that's another thing too, is, I mean, the government owns all our property through, through property taxes. You know, you can, you can own your, your 20 acres, whatever, you know, raise your cows, raise your chickens farm. Um, but when they start cutting off, uh, monetary funds, if you move to digital currency, you don't play along, eventually they're going to take even all that from you. Um, so they, they've, they've pretty much backed us all into a corner, uh, a really, a really tight one. Now the fake Catholic usurper in chief, Joe Biden in in discussing some of these matters, he declares that there is one sin which is greater than all the other sins, and it's it's not blaspheming the Holy Ghost. No, no, it's something even more important than that. 
from fake Catholic usurper in chief Joe Biden. We were talking about on the way over what got me involved in politics. I got in politics, involved in politics because I think the greatest sin that anyone can commit is the abuse of power. Whatever that power is, the power of a teacher, the power of a, a doctor, the power of a leader. When someone who is relying on you or you cannot, just the abuse of power. James, the greatest sin is the abuse of power from a man who's using the government to tell us what's true and false, from a man who is allowing doctors to promote fake science, who is allowing groomer teachers to corrupt children. He says the greatest sin is the abuse of power. My, my hypocrisy meter, I, I think, just broke on that one. Yeah, this is what we hear from uh, these liberal talking heads all the time. I mean, they say something, uh, they're probably doing the very opposite thing. And so he's talking about abuse of power, or, or rather, you know, he's trying to uh, deflate and to, to push, you know, people away from him so that uh, they, they don't see what's what's standing right right there, which is a person who is very hypocritical. He says one thing and does very the very opposite thing. And the same thing he's accusing you of doing he himself is doing even more, you know? Uh, and so, uh, yeah, this is uh, just, just the same old talking points. Uh, and of course, he's, he's a Catholic in chief. And so uh, all the Catholics out there, uh, sorry, all the Catholic bishops out there are looking at him in, in awe and respect and yeah, uh, probably right. probably will be tweeting, <laughs> tweeting uh, you know, that uh, very video out there. I mean, look, you look at it and you say, this is the man whose son had shady dealings in Ukraine. Now he's supporting Ukraine in a war. Hunter Biden's laptop is a real thing. You can say that on Twitter now because it's not misinformation anymore. Right, because they're letting us say it. Right. So we're, so we're allowed to say certain things now, and yet this man, fake Catholic usurper-in-chief that we're supposed to believe who ran for president from his basement, never left his basement for six weeks, garnered 80 million votes. We're supposed to just believe that, despite what our eyes and ears tell us, despite driving around the country, not seeing a single Biden sign anywhere. We're supposed to believe that he's the duly elected president of the United States who is standing in front of a podium and manages to get one coherent thought out that the abuse of power is the greatest sin that anyone can commit. This is the this is peak level gaslight. This is a level of gaslighting which is only which is only outdone by one man. Io credo che le intenzioni di Martin Lutero non erano sbagliate. E oggi luterani e cattolici, ah, protestanti tutti, siamo d'accordo sulla dottrina della giustificazione. Cioè, su questo punto tanto importante lui non è aver sbagliato I, I, I don't know what to do with that I, I, I feel like we all just need to flush our eyes and our ears and our minds and we need to just have a quick breath of fresh air so if you'll permit me we need this the risk doesn't matter You know, two and two are four. Well, yes, yes, of course they are. But they're also five. It's more creative. It's more broad-minded. 
It's more progressive. It's more interesting. It's more free to say that not only a two or two or four, but also they're five and they're fifteen and they're five million. Do you see the creative extension and possibilities of refusing to be imprisoned by the narrow-mindedness of two and two or four? I mean, really, that's how these minds work. With a huge number of people today, it's a waste of breath to try and discuss because their minds just aren't rolling on wheels that they ought to be rolling on. Their minds are off the hinge. How can you make somebody think when his mind is unhinged? You can't. What can you do? You can pray for him. You can love him. And that's about it. The position is fast being reached today, where the only thing that will still save any significant number of souls is a chastisement. The timing, I don't know. You don't know. None of us knows. But surely that's what it's coming to. The flood of sin, the tidal wave of sin, with the computers, with the internet—you know, this morass of sin—that's the only way to stop it. The only way to bring it. It's gone too far. For the modernist, the faith comes from inside me. I feel that God exists. I want God to exist. I need a man God. I feel a man God. He's so. He's so. Oh, I can't express it. But he's God. See, see. <laughs> With the grace of God, we'll have the grace. We'll stand by the truth, cost what it may. And if they brutally murder us, hey, that's the the fastest elevator to hell. We are living through a chastisement. It is happening. Those are older comments from His Excellency, and I think that they are truer now and more more close to us, James, now uh, than than really at any point in history. And it's only going to get worse. And his final comment there that we have to stand by truth no matter what. It doesn't matter if the barbarians who are inside the church, who are inside Catholic media, come after you, like 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 uh, the uncultured, uncouth, disgusting groomer hordes that they are. Bring it on, baby. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's... Uh, well, actually, no. Uh, I'm a broad-minded truth kind of guy. I like my truth to have a little <laughs> breath. So count me out there. You guys sound like you're just uh, making up stuff along the way, except just stuff you're making up is <laughs> – no, I'm kidding. No, uh, Bishop Williamson is, is, is absolutely right. Um, we have run off the hinges a long time ago, and we are creating – we're putting ourselves in a situation where it becomes harder and harder to get back on track and that leads us to that understanding that, yes, only some sort of chastisement will knock us back on track, will force us back on track, you know, and it's trending heavily in that direction. Um, all these apparent uh, uh, little victories that we're having online or we're having when we win little minor elections here and there uh, or, you know, when President Trump got elected, I mean, all these things are just little in comparison to what we should be uh, aspiring toward. You know, we should be aspiring toward a world that is, uh, you know, imbibed in the idea of the social reign of Christ. And we're not anywhere near there yet. 
You know, right. we're still blaspheming our Lord's name left and right on television and the media, every, every, everywhere. So it makes you makes you wonder, you know, you know, you say out loud, oh, Lord, how long, how long, you know. So this is the next. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's speaking of speaking of public blasphemy, when Ryan gets back, uh, he's got he's got that picture of Elon that I wanted to show everybody because this sure. does tie into the notion of, of so-called free speech. Do you have the right to be wrong? Do you have the right to blaspheme, Brother Martin? Do you have the right to lie? Uh, are lies protected speech? I mean, here's here's a picture of Elon in which he is appearing as an anti-priest, as a diabolical inversion of a priest. Instead of wearing a white collar and black clerics, he's wearing a black collar and white clerics. And at this particular event, and I think Ryan did a good job uh, cropping it out, he's standing next to a woman who can only charitably described as looking like a witch. So this man is not Catholic. He's not our friend. He's not our ally. Blasphemy is everywhere. Profanation is everywhere. Brother Martin, I, it's, it's, it's Christ or nothing, right? I mean, that's it. It's Christ the King or nothing. There is no libertarianism. There is no intermediary steps. We're at the end of the rope here. It's true, and I think one of the hardest things that we have to, to go up against is we're, we're constantly talking about logic and talking about arguments and convincing people, all that stuff. Well, I came to a, a realization here recently that uh, it's, it's not that the left is illogical in the sense that they can't do logic. It's the fact that they find logic completely irrelevant. It's useless. It's useless. Why is <laughs> wow. it useless? Nominalism. Nominalism denied universals. That natures exist, that essences exist in reality. And we use universal, we use natures, to begin a syllogism, all men are mortal. That's a universe. That's something we abstract from reality. But the empiricists and, and the progressives today, they don't abstract anything from reality. They don't believe in universals. Instead, the, the Kantian, the Copernican revolution of the mind, rather than the mind impressing reality on, on our, on our, rather than reality impressing itself upon our minds, which is what uh, Aquinas defined as truth, the, the adequation of the, of the intellect with reality, Kant, of course, projected his, his mind onto reality, creating reality. And so this is this is what they they, they don't deny universal. So we can't do logic. Logic for them isn't not that they hate it; it's that it's it's useless. Um, it's like a, a piece of paper against a sword. It's like you know what's that going to do? Um, and so us uh, trying to be logical, trying to convince them of the truth. Well, they don't even they don't even believe in the process of coming to the truth. They don't they don't believe in logic. So we in one sense we are at the end of the rope because the only thing we have left is a virtuous life. The only thing we have have left is that there's some innate natural desire that they have to be happy. And of mm -hmm. course that's that we all human beings do. And that they realize that there's nothing in this world to, to satisfy that innate natural desire. And so we have to help them come to the conclusion that they were made for another world. So and that we could only do by our lives, by, by being a testimony to the gospel. So uh, in one sense, philosophy <laughs> even has become somewhat useless um, in, in our world today um, because we, we are up against the, the and, and I guess, I guess the, the knowledge of good and evil from the, from the Garden of Eden, you know, um, who, who's, who's to decide who's true, what's, what's true now, since, since, since we all have different minds, you know, can project something different upon reality. Well, the government, the government is, the government is dead. The government is, is God. So, uh, we'll just let the government tell us what's true. And, and we just all abide by that. Speaking of which, if you'll allow, um, I've got, I've been looking for a quote for a while. Um, anyway. And so, uh, so this is a part later in, in the book. I won't try to give the context because it's a, it's so I can get through the quote. But anyway, so 
O'Brien, who is uh, is this talking to to Winston, who's who's the fellow that works at the Ministry of Truth, gra- gradually been understanding that the, the intricacies of how this dictatorship works. <clears throat> Another example, O'Brien said, some years ago, you, that is, he's talking to Winston, had a very serious delusion. You believed that three men, three one-time party members named Jones, Aronson, and Rutherford, men who were executed for treachery and sabotage after making the fullest possible confession, were not guilty of the crimes they were charged with. You believed that you had seen unmistakable documentary evidence proving that their confessions were false. There was a certain photograph about which you had a hallucination. You believed that you had actually held it in your hands. It was a photograph, something like this. An oblong slip of newspaper had appeared between O'Brien's fingers. For perhaps five seconds, it was within the angle of Winston's vision. It was a photograph, and there was no question of its identity. It was the photograph. It was another copy of the photograph of Jones, Aronson, and Rutherford at the party function in New York, which he had chanced upon 11 years ago and promptly destroyed. For only an instant, it was before his eyes that it was out of sight again. But he had seen it. Unquestionably, he had seen it. He made a desperate, agonizing effort to wrench the top half of his his body free. It was impossible to move such a centimeter in any direction. For the moment, he had forgotten the, the dial. All he wanted was to hold the photograph in his fingers again, or at least to see it. It exists, he cried. No, said O'Brien. He stepped across the room. There was a memory hole in the opposite wall. O'Brien lifted the, gra- the grating. Unseen, the frail slip of paper was whirling away on the current of warm air. It was vanishing in a flash of flame. O'Brien turned away from the wall. Ashes, he said. Not even identifiable ashes. Dust. It does not exist. It never existed. But it did exist. It did exist. It exists in memory. I remember it. You remember it. I do not remember it, said O'Brien. Winston's heart sank. That was double think. He had a feeling of deadly helplessness. If he could have been certain that O'Brien was lying, it would not have seemed to matter. But it was perfectly possible that O'Brien had really forgotten the photograph. And if so, already he would have forgotten his denial of remembering it and forgotten the act of forgetting. How could one be sure that it was simply trickery? And I'll just skip towards the the, the more important part of it. Um, You are no metaphysician, Winston, he said. Until this moment, you had never considered what is meant by existence. I will put it more precisely. Does the past exist concretely in space? Is there somewhere or other a place, a world of solid objects where the past is still happening? No. Then where does the past exist, if at all? In records, it's written down. In records and? Oh, in the mind, in human memories. In memory. Very well, then. We, the party, control all records. And we control all memories. Then we control the past, do we not? It goes on at length far, far more, but um that's that's kind of so you, you just connect all these things like the ministry of truth which is run by this incompetent bat that uh was is a, is a failed comedian but mm-hmm. she she has some talent uh but all for the wrong things but you know she's at us i won't play the video uh but she's at like a stand-up thing and she's complaining that barbara streisand is rich and famous and she's not and then she says essentially who do i have to sleep with in order to become rich and famous this is the dingbat that now is the head wow. of misinformation, right? Well, but know, she, she could she could probably use a mentor, and her mentor could be Kamala, right? Kamala Harris, who uh, has uh, lots of experience in that particular department. I mean, she her resume is um, anyway. 
If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're probably better off not knowing. Okay, quick reset. Um, two things to talk about before we get to the unpopulars. First, Ukraine. We haven't really talked about Ukraine at length on this show in weeks. It's still happening. Um, there's a war happening. There are people dying. And what triggered my memory to bring up Ukraine was Ryan talking about a failed comedian um, who's actually now a president of Ukraine, who we backed. This is a retired army colonel who's disputing one of the many uh, claims made about what Russia is supposedly doing in the Ukraine. Do you think it would make sense for the Russian military who spent a month uh, occupying that city, living, you know, in relative peace with the civilians there to kill four, 410 civilians on the last day as they leave the city? Well, no, I, I don't. Uh, and I think experience in military affairs suggests that if you do that sort of thing, all you do is stiffen resistance against you. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the bodies don't disappear. The act persists. It has a bad odor. It doesn't go away. And it's hard for me to believe that this was a deliberate act by the Russian military. That said, it's not impossible. We did things in Vietnam that were terrible. Uh, we know about some of them. We don't know about all of them. Again, I looked at both sides of this and I couldn't come away with a certain conclusion one way or the other. There were things that didn't make a lot of sense. A lot of these people had this white armband tied around them. The white armband was a signal to the Russian army that, look, I'm not part of the Ukrainian army. I don't support it. Effectively, I'm not in the war. And all of a sudden, large numbers of those people are dead. We do know that Ukrainian forces have killed people like that elsewhere. They've assassinated mayors. People have disappeared and so forth. Whenever you have such unanimity in the American and Western media and you have such brilliant timing, such that a piece of news comes out, like what you mentioned earlier in, uh, that's happened in Bucha. It comes out, and uh, there's this no enormous explosion. It's almost volcanic of hate and criticism and stories supporting all of this against the Russians that bursts on the scene almost immediately, all at roughly the same time. And all of the retired general officers come on and with no exception, say virtually all the same thing. And when that happens, I step back and I'm extremely suspicious and very skeptical because I've seen. When there's unanimity, Ryan, amongst the elites, when Lindsey Graham and Lindsey Lohan both are telling us what to believe and they agree with each other. I take a step back, don't you? Well, you should. It's uh, it's manufactured consent is really what it is. And the same thing as Ukraine and everyone getting the, the flag. I'm helping. And you have all these people flying a trans flag in their biopic. And then they're getting a, a, you know, and then they've got a Ukrainian flag where that's illegal. And gay marriage is legal, but yet these people are all flying their Ukraine colors. It's um, it's like the uh, the meme. I support the current thing. Right. It, it's it's all manufactured. It is being tapped in. It, it's not hard to do. Right. It's just a level of systemic brainwashing. You start with the media. You trot out a few people. And it's and once it's it's uh, hit that critical mass or everyone's saying it, it's like a, a um, it's like a trigger. Right. Almost like, uh, you know, Catcher in the Rye for, uh, you know, the Operation Monarch stuff. You, know, you see the book and then you go follow your instructions. The um, 
is it's sort of like that you know you see these things going on you see every, and then everyone gets in line that's the group think you get memos we're supporting this so people at the top levels of course they know they they know this is not going on or they've been told it's going on and they believe it but there's other people yeah we we know so is it believable that russia would commit atrocity sure I, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. Uh, do we have evidence they're committing atrocities? Well, uh, I, I don't trust anything on either side that's coming out of it. Because, it, I mean, the whole thing's a giant distraction for yeah. some of the other things that are going on in the world. And especially when they're all in lockstep, James. I mean, it just makes it, it, just makes it so obvious. And you almost stop and look at it and say, they're, they're, they're not even trying to hide their contempt for... Yeah, us mere citizens they're not even tr- they're not even trying to you know provide spectacular production value like they used to in in the in the 911 era i mean this is this is really like I, this is a low budget b movie this is double trouble 1997 <laughs> you know you know what they've done is they've uh they've captured us already they've captured our minds already they needed us back uh, early on in those early days of high production. They needed us to go along for the ride, to go along for the journey. And so they necessarily had to create this high production uh, studio type events so that we we would be assimilated into their program. But guess what? 20, 30, 40 years later, we're all almost seems like we're in lockstep with their, their uh, agenda. And so, you know, they've gone back to low budget because you know what? Hey, you know, we are we are on their team. And so we don't need to spend all this money, uh, you know, bringing people along and you give them something else they want to. They want somebody who will uh, get, give them uh, whatever carrot the next carrot is, you know. So you hold a carrot in front of them, such as, uh, you know, um, hey, you know, we're all in this together. Well, I guess it's not a carrot per se, but, you know, give them a new phrase. We're all in this together. And then you have the Michelle Obama with signs saying, bring back our girls, you know, and that's going to do something. That's going to let the terrorists know that you're really angry at them and you're, you're just going to go really, really nuts. You know, whatever, whatever that vision of nuts is in in order to uh, restore or to bring back, uh, you know, these lost girls or, you know, lost freedoms or lost rights, you know? So the next slogan is the biggest thing. And we're, we're so low production right now, you know, you, hold up i mean there's a meme right where you hold up uh, a sheet of paper it's just it's empty and you just put in whatever next you know uh thing is right. there and then people go oh yeah of course you're 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 uh you're on our side you know and there's no question asked and this is kind of where we are you know uh the the final segment of our show before we get to the unpopulars uh i would highly encourage you if you have children around or if they're available or listening this is not for them We're going to be talking about groomers in public school. We started on the rundown, the public school is a mortal sin segment. It is the most unpopular segment that we've done. And I think it's the most forward looking one because for two years, we've been talking about the groomers in public schools where no one else had the courage to do that. Now it's very popular to do so. And it's gotten so extreme. What I'm about to show you is a picture, a video from a librarian. This is this, this human being works as a librarian at a public school. Sorry, I haven't made any content lately. Life happens so much. But I will say uh, that one of the smartest things that I have done at the library so far is simply put a pride flag behind me. 
with a picture of my girlfriend. And I did the same thing that I did when I worked at Barnes & Noble, and I stuck tiny flags on the Valentine's display to indicate which books were LGBT. So the kids don't even have to ask about it, they can just grab them. This job is truly the best. Here's another public school teacher talking about grooming. A lot of anti-abortion advocates are also seemingly really into the idea of finding out their child's sex really early on. And I think this is because of this like underlying cultural idea that gender confers humanity. And, you know, if you're against people aborting fetuses, you need to construct them as like fully people. And one of the mechanisms to do so is by inferring, by putting gender on them. So like, you know, we often call fetuses like it or we call even early babies, we often call it, you know, babies like it, it's crying because it's like not quite gotten gender and it's not quite become a person. But like a lot of conservatives who are really anti-abortion and really pro-reproduction, they're obsessed with gendering their children before they're even born. So it's crying. It's not quite a person. The most, gendering their children before they're the most common sense thing that was uh, said by anyone on a major news network actually just dropped. I can't believe that this was said, and I can't believe it was said on controlled opposition alt-left network, Fox News. Right, religious speech. Yes, and the superintendent has to prove that he was ostracizing players and, you know, not favoring them if they didn't participate. They, so far, what I have seen, they have not proven that this will be a very important case for religious liberty, uh, but also maybe a great time in our country's history where we rethink whether or not we have public schools. Maybe we should not have the government involved in education at all. Uh, so parents and teachers and administrators can make those decisions themselves instead of having the government impose it on them, because it is the public school aspect of this that is creating the legal challenge. And yeah. what do we do with the people who can't afford private? Like, what does that look like because each state allots some money so they would get that money i would assume is that what florida could wanted do vouchers. to do vouchers that's what florida yeah did. that's what florida wanted to do yeah, yeah you could have you could have we could entirely rethink okay i'll tell you why i say that it's because the two most powerful teachers unions in the country are opposed to coach kennedy they they are using their their heft and their influence to make sure that he loses this case emily you've dealt with the ninth ninth circuit before this is a case that came up through the ninth circuit previously so I want to go. I want to go around the horn here, real quick, and I want to get everyone's kind of quick reactions to this. It's obvious that the grooming in public schools has accelerated to a point of absurdity. My question is: Has it got? Has it gone so far and so fast that this movement against public schools is real? Have they gone over their skis? Or is this just merely another means of control? I'll start with you, Ryan. I think that at this point, if uh, parents who are able haven't woken up uh, and said, oh, no, I'm, I'm yanking my kids and I'm homeschooling, then those who are able to do so, uh, if they haven't done that, then they're not going to. They, they enjoy the convenience of being able to, send the kiddos to school and then go do their thing or go to work or whatever. They enjoy that convenience of free government babysitting and, and they're, you know, and they want, or they, they're so attached to that model 
that they just want to believe it's going to get better. This isn't really going to be a problem. I I think, but there is a large segment of people that are not Catholic, even that are not even religious that have said, Oh no, no, no. All right. That's it. I'm yanking my kids out of school and we're not putting them back. Uh, And things like, I know know a lot of cases of people, various online people in uh, various spheres that are not particularly religious, but they're like, yeah, we're getting my kids out. So they've done it. Everyone else I think is going to stay no matter how bad it gets. They're going to keep telling themselves, oh, it's not really that bad. Well, my kid seems to be okay, you know, and uh, things of this sort. It's all, it's really only a matter of time, you know, before that, that. And you just look at the psychology of it. If you're a kid in school and your teacher is doubling down as hard as what uh, these freaks are doing. And I don't mind saying that because they're not just people with a problem looking for help. They're people who embrace that problem love that disorder and want to foist it on other people. So yes, yeah, so I justifiably call them freaks. Um, and so they, they are not going to stop and they're going to get worse. And if you're a kid and this is going to make the teacher happy, so I'm going to go along with it. And then before long, you've molded yourself into it. Mm-hmm. You've set all those patterns there in little surprise. You got this kind of explosion. And I was talking about this in 2016 when it was still barely on the radar. I gave a talk on the English Reformation. And I talked about the control of the media and the means. And how do you turn a 70% Catholic country into a 70% Protestant country in the space of a generation? You control the schools, you control the pulpits, you control all the means of communication and back it up with state enforcement. Well, we're seeing the same thing with this particular agenda. You know, they control the schools, they control the, uh, the virtual pulpits today that people are listening to. For the most part, uh, not completely. There's still resistance to it, but that, but any any official organs, that is reality now because they have so decided. And it's always been true, like that quote I read earlier. Right? They they control the past as well as the present. This is science now. It's just the way it has always been, even though we can't find any discernible evidence of you know, a trans movement and mass numbers of people thinking this until they started introducing it into public schools. So it, uh, it it should be a clearing call, but there's one more thing to add. This is still yet another phase of uh, what's ultimately going to be the digital convergence. So the trans agenda is a, is a critical step for shaking, the, leading people into this metaphysical era where they think, that the soul is not the substantial form of the body. And so that the way your body is, it's fluid and we can change it. And and it's like the, the two might not be going together right. So we can make them with all these surgeries and, and things I won't describe, uh, make them all go right. And, and that's just the preparation for the body itself is this transitory thing. It's icky and dirty. You want to put yourself into the machine. You want to go full out digital. You you want to be transhumanist, not merely transgender, transhumanist. And you see these commercials now, these idiotic things for these gaming laptops, right? And um, it, it starts with this this somewhat hilarious thing, you know, more you know more doctors, uh, you know, doctors most accurate in their surgery play video games on this laptop, and but then the um, the tagline for it is transcend humanity. That, you know, for something stupid and infantile like a video game laptop, that, that's that's the key word. And, of course, Musk is a big part of that. Tie that back together. So everything you're seeing in the school is just to try to lead. The next thing will be basically convincing people to commit mass suicide to upload their brains to the cloud, which 
does not metaphysically actually work. You're muted, Mike. Oh, you're muted, Mike. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. James, what do you think about what we're seeing that the blowback against the grooming in public schools? Is it is it, is it because the groomers have gotten over their skis, they've gone too far, too fast, too hard, and and it's legitimate uh, blowback, or are we just witnessing, you know, political theater as it seems like Ryan alluded to? You're muted too, James. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Okay, great. Sorry, I was having uh, slow response issues for my uh, computer here, which was gifted to me by RTF. Thank you for the computer. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what we're seeing again, you know, uh, it's we're coming up on midterms, and I, and I hate to, to think that this is what's happening, but that's always what I have to think about is what's, what's creating this uproar, uh, you know, this pushback. And of course, it's uh, for me, the first thing is I have to consider it maybe being political theater. Um, I, I mean, I don't think things are going to get better in itself. I've already alluded to this uh, elsewhere in the show. You know, we, we have to be able to, to take uh, huge risks in order to create this future or to bring back this, you know, uh, uh, this normative way of, of living. Right. Because when we're being pushed out into a place where we don't want to necessarily be in. We're in this muck. We're sitting in muck. We like to sit in muck. Our kids are in muck. When they go to school, they're in this pit with vipers. You know, we, we can't just let these little blessed minds uh, into this den of vipers and hope that they come out on top, you know? Uh, and because really what's happening is uh, there's a deviation from uh, moral and normative behavior and it's a great evil. It must be avoided at all costs. And we have our future to uh, reckon with if we kind of sit back and let this happen or put this at the foot of our politicians who are just going to give us red meat when they feel like giving us red meat and then pull back and ignore us when they feel like pulling back and, and ignore, ignoring us. Now, De DeSantis seems to be maybe uh, uh, in the position to, to have things turn out a little uh, uh, differently for the state of uh, Florida. But, um, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, the, one term, I, I hope this is a... Uh, something that he's able to to, to to stay with, you know, we cannot cower in the face of what is apparently a, a, a certain a certain backlash from uh, people who are gonna want to do us harm if we're going up against their agenda, you know. And rather, we should be inspired to face this backlash when it comes because we know what we're really fighting for, you know. So um, I'm I'm hoping for the best, but. Uh, you know, when I think of elections and, and how we're as conservatives are easily wooed to either sit back and wait, you know, that Q was saying, Q was saying, what was he saying? You know, it's almost here. We have them under, you know, our thumb and we're going to make the big reveal sometime soon or with the stuff to steal. Hey, you know what? The judges, you know, are going to make the right decision. We're going to recapture presidentials and you know the uh the, yeah, we're, gonna, right. we're gonna expose make place your place your hope in the you know expose holy, all these, the holy sacrament yeah. of democracy which is casting your vote. right right so long as you which, participate which is, in the sacrament you're a member of the religion of democracy 
Right. And which always proves itself to, to, to be false because we end up going, wait a second, what happened here? We thought we had people on our team. Well, you know what? Maybe it's time for us to just rise and keep cowering behind politicians who are just there to get reelected. Yeah. What about you, Brother Martin? Uh, thoughts on the groomers, um, the homo narcissists who are in schools, who are um, corrupting students' minds seemingly at a larger rate is it just because of libs of tiktok is exposing them and and because of that there's a there's a there's a counter reaction to it or is there something more devious happening no i think part of it is that part of it is social media i think they've always been there and they've always been doing what what they uh what they've been doing but now it's being exposed and it's on the internet and so it also because it's so focused it seems so constant it seems so big amplified um that's one reason but also i mean the only what, what do how, do how do parents keep their their public school teachers accountable so to speak one two parent teaching conferences uh a semester a year um of course there's always the the fallback to democracy the the, uh, the board of education or whatever being elected all that kind of stuff just elect new vote harder all that kind of stuff um but there there there, there is a legitimate blowback in the sense that i think there there are some um i guess nominal nominal christians Protestants that do want to have a stronger say in, in how their children are raised um, and have have certain principles um, and that are vigilant. Whether or not, I mean, what was brought up there uh, on Fox News was was how are poor people going to pay for for a private school? I mean, back in the day when Catholics couldn't, even, when it was forbidden for Catholics to go to public school, we had religious orders of teaching sisters. We had St. Rose Philippine Duchesne who founded schools. We had Mother Cabrini. Uh, we had Elizabeth N. Seton. And we had all these saints in the United States that were serving the poor. Um, but of course, I, I've brought this up before on, on, on the rundown, is that I don't think the traditionalist movement even is producing enough vocations, um, even in religious sisters. Uh, the, the only the only um, traditionalist communities that I know, are they're all mostly contemplatives. And so, I mean, contemplatives, mon monasteries are great. They're, they're absolutely necessary. Um, but there's just not enough in order to, to provide schools for Catholics to get out of um out of out of the public schools because i mean there are some people in, in in such economic conditions where both parents have to work i mean obviously it's not ideal it's not perfect um but the economic situation whatever country they're in you know even because you know the united states isn't the only country that exists um they find themselves there and so that they need the help from uh, traditional religious teaching sisters and there are none um, which is which is a, a huge fault on even on, on our part um so yeah Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the Unpopular Opinion segment. This is the segment that you've all been waiting for. This is where we compete with each other for telling you something that is true, or that we believe is true, but that is so upsetting to you, so unpopular, you hate to hear it. You really hate to hear it. You're like, oh, it challenges you. And then you vote on Twitter, which is uh, now magically open, even though Musk doesn't own it. You vote on Twitter for the most unpopular opinion. So we typically start with Ryan. Ryan, are you ready? I have no audio for Ryan. Oh, sorry about that. There we go. Um, yeah, I think I'm ready. So basically, the the entertainment industry, as we see, has fallen around. Disney's taken a hit, and they're producing more. Thankfully, I hope they're completely and utterly destroyed. But they're taking they're they're producing more and more garbage. That even for presenting their ideas and their woke agenda, is still garbage writing. It's it, it they can't weave anything entertainment is usually a sign of culture 
ever since you know you go back to people are making cave paintings that, that's a, another form of entertainment telling stories by the fire and you know the, the the details the the writing the the intelligence that goes behind it is a sign of the culture that produces stories when what is a sign of ours uh, well when you look at the the hot pile of stinking garbage that paramount plus is producing with uh, their new star trek nonsense or you look at anything any of the new superhero movies now they're all men are stepping back and you know being you know pushed out so some crappy female version of the same character can now be pushed in or your discount diversified you know figure that said that's going to spout all the woke garbage is now put in place so the superhero genre is gone if any any value it might have had um anything in an entertainment that people have had now is is a sign of the decay of our culture and catholic media is no exception to that so we saw recently father Stu came out and now not everyone there were people that were rightly awake to the problems with it but you had so much of catholic media and catholics on twitter again you know, this is a phrase I'm using a lot lately, clapping like seals, because, oh, wow, a Catholic movie. Oh, wow, it's a movie about a priest. Everyone, we got to see this movie. And it's a movie full of blasphemy, uh, full of just very bad things, bad language, not particularly really inspiring. And, of course, the actual priest in question wasn't quite like Mark, Mark Wahlberg, Wahlberg portrayed him. But it's Mel Gibson, everyone. Why we got to get behind this and support this because Mel Gibson's making Catholic movies. And, and you know, I don't want to hate on Mel because there, there's lots of things in his wife. But, I mean, he ditched his, his real lawfully wedded wife for a paramour that also wrote this particular movie. And I'm just, why is it, you know, so Catholics are really desperate for good entertainment and good writing, good good media. And that desperation leads them to just go in for the, you know, whatever, uh, even if it's some cheesy Protestant Lifetime movie, which is so bad, um, I can't even get into it. And so, I mean, there are Catholics trying to make good media. You know this, Mike, you've, you've labored in that industry. But in general, you know, we need to stop supporting any you know, anything because, oh, my goodness, it's religious. We need to get behind this. We, you know, we can't do this. The Catholics need to demand better and not just jump behind something because it's got some religious theme. So Catholic entertainment, you got to make it good or, or don't bother. Go back to the classics. If, uh, you know, you can't don't get behind something just because it's about a priest or Mel Gibson made it or what have you. I guess I'm next. All right, my unpopular opinion is uh, coming from what I've been seeing within the last few years. At first, uh, the jab was offered. You were trying to try to be convinced of it that you should take it voluntarily, and then it was mandated. Um, the whole LGBTQ stuff, it's like they're encouraging you to, to discern, to see what you are, all that kind of stuff. My unpopular opinion is that soon we will have government-assigned gender. You will have the government either at birth, because, of course, hospitals, I mean, you, you go and you still wear masks, even though they themselves know it's fake. The doctors know that it's fake. Hospitals are, are very political. The, the medical system is corrupt. Um, they will absolutely go, go through with a government assigned gender, whether it be at birth or at a certain age in a child's life. Uh, they'll be told to go into the doctor to, to be assigned their gender. That's my unpopular opinion. James. James the, James the Greater. That should be your name. <laughs> Can you can you hear me? Yes. Okay, mine is very short this week. Uh, basically, following uh, all the news of uh, the last week and a half of Elon Musk uh, and Twitter 
And I, I think uh, it's now formed in my mind that uh, Elon Musk is possibly going to be used as a tool to bring about some form of um, online social credit scoring, uh, which people are, are not right now. People want to enjoy the fact that they seem to have free speech back on Twitter. But I think uh, the long-term goal will be to bring about some sort of uh, online social credit scoring, which people will act, will be happy to participate in because it's coming from Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Hard for me to vote against something uh, that is, uh, but I always vote for myself because I want to win these things. Of, of and, course, of course you do. And I, <laughs> I can't and, vote for myself because I put up the poll. <laughs> oh yeah, right. All right, we well, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a pity vote. No, I'll, I'll get on the Mediatrix Press Twitter and vote. There you mm-hmm. go. There you go. Uh, my unpopular opinion this week is going to attack the heart of Novus Ordoism because the heart of quote unquote little orthodox Novus Ordoism is being quote unquote pro life. But my contention is that blasphemy is worse than abortion, and most Catholics refuse to accept that. Even traditional Catholics. I'm going to quote the angelic doctor here, quote, if we compare murder and blasphemy as regards to the objects of those sins, it is clear that blasphemy, which is a sin committed directly against God, is more grave than murder, which is a sin against one's neighbor. On the other hand, if we compare them in respect to the harm wrought by them, murder is the graver sin, for murder does more harm to one's neighbor than blasphemy does to God. Since, however, the gravity of a sin depends on the intention of the evil will rather than on the effect of the deed, we're not consequentialists. As well as shown above, it follows that as the blasphemer intends to do harm to God's honor, absolutely speaking, he sins more grievously than the murderer. Now, I'm not disputing the fact that that an abortionist is a murderer. Abortion is murder, and murder is wrong. And governments should exist to prevent things like murder. But blasphemy is a far greater sin than murder. And governments should exist to prevent blasphemy. So anybody who is with Elon Musk and free speech and libertarianism, and they say, I have to support free speech in order to oppose it down the road, you are supporting worse sins than abortion. You, it would be like saying, I have to be pro-choice so that down the road I can be pro-life. That is the very same logic that all of you free speechers out there are upholding. And that is my unpopular opinion this week. I, uh, we, have to show, we have to show the polls from last week. I'm telling you, I'm, on a, I'm trying to get the hat trick, ladies and gentlemen. So if you can just give me a pity vote because you feel bad for me, I'll take it. I'll it looks like it. last week. Oh, my God, last week. You've been yeah. taking it. You got a good one this week, too, because a lot of people, it's one of these things that, that I find really obnoxious. You get people and you, you give the clear teaching. And trads are this way, too. There's like this anti-intellectual bent with trads. Well, I read a catechism. I know better than you. And I know better than St. Alphonse Liguori and St. Thomas mm-hmm. Aquinas and St. Robert Fellerman and St. Bonaventure, whatever, you get on the list. And so you bring something like blasphemy is worse than murder. And it, not only does St. Thomas teach it, every commenter on the Zoom, it, it teaches it. Every every theologian, you know, teaches it. Uh, King St. Louis the Ninth 
practiced it, right? Yeah. In this case, he punished blasphemy far, far you know, it, it just as heavily as murder, at least, because he knew it was worse, because it makes, as St. Thomas teaches, it makes God its object. But people can't make distinctions. They can't distinguish between uh, two different, uh, you know, issues that, um, yeah, objectively speaking, blasphemy is worse. It doesn't mean that in the external forum here on earth, we punish murder, you know, at least physically, you know, more severely than we might blasphemy but it, you know because mm -hmm. of the what what government is ordered to do in the social order and because of the danger to your neighbor but when we're talking about god in terms of what kind of sin it is it is a worse sin because you are making god the object of your action not man and that yeah. that make, makes that objectively saint thomas is really clear about that but then you and, get all these hats to like, you by the way oh, I was he's reading... wrong about that that's not infallible I, I was reading you, you by the way, Ryan. Your Twitter thread is what I was reading. So you're you're the one who put it out on Twitter. I'm just making it my unpopular opinion. So right. hats it to you. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's time to grift. Okay. Ryan is always up first on the grifting segment. I am. Um, there we go. Okay, so. I shipped 75 of these out yesterday, the month of Mary. I've got like, I think about 18 left. I should have more coming in this week. But um, in May, we run with excitement to endow Mary's altars with boughs of flowers to pay homage to the most generous of queens. To more fully live the spirit of the season, we must enter into the very spirit of the mother of God. So the month of Mary embodies the very essence of the May devotion. Every chapter in this book contains a whole day's reading in prayer and a fitting example for the reading, usually taken from the author's personal knowledge or some other historical example. Uh, this is what gives the book a unique atmosphere. At each of the 31 days of Mary uh, of May, pro, uh, sorry, as each of these days progress, the subjects cover every possible facet of the known life of Mary, historical traditions, apparitions, uh, etc. And so... You know, it gives you daily spiritual reading of the, of the life and virtues and traditions surrounding the Blessed Virgin, daily prayers to Mary, daily examples of true life stories, um, et cetera. So if, you, if you're familiar with the month of St. Joseph, which we put out, um, you know, then uh, this will be very much the same, right, in terms of, you know, very deep in devotion to the Blessed Virgin. It's an excellent book. Uh, you know, Father Ripiger gave me a blurb for the back. Uh, I'm not sure if that's going to focus. There we go. So there's that. Are uh, your book club you members that. receiving that book? Yes. The, they'll get the paperback version together with uh, St. Philip Neri's Feast is in May. Uh, so they're going to get the, uh, the the life we sell in St. Philip Neri uh, in hardcover. And then this book is going to go along with the uh, paperback. Or the, the, in the in the paperback version with the hardcover of St. Philip Mary. I'll do that again. <laughs> so book club members this month, I, I was slow in updating the site. I'm, I'm finally getting that fixed. There's a problem there. And um, so the hardcover of St. Philip Mary is coming as part of the book club. And the uh, the month of May is coming in a paperback version. If I, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think if there's anything else about that. No, I think that's good. And then of course, the life of the venerable Luis Pont or Luis de la Puente. I didn't want to change the title, even though it's Francified because he's actually Spanish. But um, anyway, it's a really amazing. It's not just a historical biography. It's a spiritual treatise. I've shown this one off before. Mm. Uh, great book. Not not 
overly long, you know, about 200 pages, not, not a huge, massive thing, easy to get through, great to take to uh, adoration or a, a visit to the Blessed Sacrament for spiritual reading because of its spiritual import. It's not a mere history book in a saint, even though it is actual history. So, uh, so that's what we got. And uh, right now, and uh, plus many other books, uh, mediatrixpress.com. Mediatrixpress.com. You saw the banner. It is in the show notes. Click the link. Become a book club member. You won't regret it. All right. I'm posting something in the live chat right now. It is a link to a YouTube video because yesterday on our YouTube, I made an announcement, an update about the Elbeza St. Augustine, uh, about our new property, show the chapel. It's very, very close to to being fully constructed. Um, We're still missing pews and um, we need to kind of update a lot of our uh, the liturgical things, the candlesticks, all that kind of stuff. Um, so if you want to help us out in, in furnishing our chapel in such a way that it is uh, pleasing to God, where uh, people could come and, and worship him um, adequately, uh, you can go to our website, www.oblicesaintaugustine.com slash giving. And um, I, think it's in the, I think it's in the show notes. Um, but you can look at this video too. I go over our lease as well. Um, our lease is pretty unique in that obviously raising $170,000 um, doesn't really buy a nice five bedroom, three bathroom uh, house uh, with the market today. However, the lease that I have is, it basically gives us 150 years to be able to buy that, the place that we're living in. Um, and, it, and it pretty much locks us in, like the, the, the landlord can't, can't kick us out. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a pretty unique lease, pretty incredible. Our landlord is, is very generous um, in doing this for us and, and, and giving us a home and a place to start a, a traditional Augustinian monastery. So uh, check out the video um comment like all that kind of stuff and visit our website thank you excellent all right brother martin now james the lesser you are one who never grips anything personally but you're just letting (laughs) us know what you're what you're reading what's the latest with you yeah you know i'm working on a couple of things behind the scenes but not yet ready for prime time so uh until that happens I'm, i'm happy to share with uh, viewers and listeners, uh, the various things that I'm engaged in, whether uh, reading or uh, listening. And this one actually today is uh, They Have Uncrowned Him. It's, it's a great uh, work by the uh, Archbishop, um, the founder of the Society of uh, St. Pius X. This is a great book. It talks about uh, how we got to where we are today uh, and how uh, a lot of the blame of what we're experiencing falls at the feet of liberalism and he uh, gives various uh definitions uh of all the isms that have led us to where we are and uh you know uh it's just a it's just a i I think a great work and uh puts us back uh into our minds puts back into our minds the idea of having this social reign of christ that we all keep talking about now people might say, well, you know, um, I'm busy during the day. I don't have time and I can't think of a book, but also try to, you know, know that, uh, or, or do know that this book exists in audio format. I believe the society put out a free audio format either on YouTube or on Spotify. One of those, uh, two platforms you can find, uh, definitely a free audio copy, uh, to listen to. And, um, you know, I like reading books, but also as I drive to to and from work and other places, it's nice to be able to catch up uh, uh, mentally 
you know, with with you know uh, such works as uh, they have uncrowned him. So uh, give that a listen or a read, and uh, you'll be happy. Man, that is just the nudge I needed. I I've read Open Letter to Confuse Catholics uh, and mm-hmm. some other of his articles, but I have not re- read His Excellency's book. They have uncrowned oh, it's a great him. Work. And I, yeah, I think and I have if to do I it. can add too. <clears throat> there's a priest I know who does not like the Archbishop, does not agree with the various things he did. Uh, even though he kind of broadly supports certain things, but he d- disagreed with the with the course the archbishop took. He doesn't like the Society of Saint Pius X. I gave him the book and I said, "Well, just just look, you know, forget all that for the moment and just read the book." And he did. And he said he was a page turner. He got into it. He couldn't stop mm-hmm. reading it. And so mm-hmm. he's still not entirely favorable to the society, but he still loved the book. So if you're so just as you know. Yeah, Archbishop Lefebvre wrote it, but if you're kind of like a fraternity-only guy and you don't like the SSPX, this is still a good book for you, and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's a great note. That's a great note. Guys, thank you so much for watching the Rundown Special Saturday Morning Edition. Lots of engagement with the live chat. Lots of live viewers. It is our honor and pleasure to bring you this production every week. God bless you. Thanks for watching. uh, That will enhance our underlying effort to accommodate the Russian oligarchs uh, and make sure we take their take their their ill-begotten gains. <laughs> We're going to accommodate them. We're going to seize their yachts, their luxury homes, and other ill-begotten gains of Putin's kleptocracy. Yeah, kleptocracy and klep- the guys who are the kleptocracies. <laughs> but these are bad guys.